Welcome to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. We are for the misfits, those who don't fit in at school, those who don't fit in at church, those who feel they don't fit in anywhere. We are misfits, we are called to be misfits, and we are called to be for the misfits. Welcome to episode three of Youth Ministry Misfits. I was really inspired by my chat with James Harris from youthwork.io last week uh, about the bad kids and the naughty kids at youth groups and in youth ministries. Uh, James said one question, which I think was quite poignant and has stuck with me since then. And it was the question of, are your discipleship programs leading people to follow Jesus or leading them to be a nice middle-class person? And as I thought back on that episode and as I thought back on the things that I shared in episode one, I thought about how I had done that. And I had some thoughts about what it actually means to to create middle class, nice young people rather than radical followers of Jesus. One of the main things I thought back on was uh, how in uh, my days as a, as a school chaplain, the main thing that teachers, no offense to any teachers that are listening, uh, you're doing amazing work, but one of the main things that I notice that teachers get upset about is when their students are talking while they are talking and when students are fidgeting and mucking around in class. And I think that this happens in youth groups too. Well, at least in my experience, it was one of the things that we focused on too much. Um, we would try and make sure when someone was speaking from the front on the, on a microphone, giving a, a message or something or introduction or whatever it might be, we felt like it was so important to make sure that the, all the young people were listening and that they were um, hearing what was being said and they were sitting quietly and not mucking around or fidgeting to the point that I think that we probably missed some messages ourselves because we became so focused on making the, the young people quiet that we ourselves were being disruptive. Anyway, I digress. That creates a kind of a culture of what does it mean to be a good person? Well, it means to sit quietly and listen. Well, that doesn't sound like a follower of Jesus to me. I mean, sure, there's there's elements of respect there, but it, it kind of seems like we just want people to be to sit and be quiet so that when they go to church, they can sit and be quiet in church. Um, but as I think about that, I'm like, well, that kind of sends a message to young people that this is what it means to be a Christian, is it means that you go to school and when you go to church, it's just like school and all you're meant to do is be quiet. Hmm. I think that there are other parts too. Like I remember having a conversation with someone who's who at the time was a young person, but is now one of my very good friends. And we've had some good conversations about this since, but I pulled them aside and talked to them about the fact that they swore and quoted them Bible verses and, and, tried to make sure that they wouldn't swear in youth group. And that's not being a radical follower of Jesus. We, we make these, these um, emphases upon making sure that the young people join the games, the discussion, the activities, the things that we want them to do. We try to make sure that they, they um, kind of follow our ideas of what it means to be a good person. Of, well, don't be angry, say the right things, don't smoke, get married, get a good job, um, be a nice person, 
But I think these things are really just our cultural way of measuring success. They're not, that's not about being a radical follower of Jesus. The irony about this is um, I just paused the recording because I'm currently recording this podcast at Table College um, in my office. And some students have just come out of their class and they're making a big racket. And I was tempted to go talk to them and make them be quiet. But then I was like, hang on a second, I've just been talking about this very thing. So I hope you don't mind the the background noise that's going on here. (laughs) It's part of the the community that we have here that is a joy. And um, maybe that's part of the lesson here today. So um, when we try to impose our cultural ideas about, you know, be quiet, don't make a noise, don't fidget, don't make a fuss, um, don't argue, don't yell, don't get angry, um, go get a good job, go get married, go um, be in this relationship, speak like this, talk like that, say say the right things, study your Bible. Um, I think that we're actually missing the point. And what about the young people in our group who aren't from the same culture as us, the ones who maybe they don't value those things, they value family, maybe they value justice, maybe they value equality, maybe they value um, connection to country. Um, This kind of came to a head um, for me because I recently did a training um, that was really valuable and I don't want to um, criticize or put down the person who was facilitating that training. Um, But the the training was on behavior management and I think it was necessary for the context. Um, However, it kind of felt a bit like it was the typical school approach um, that saw the behavior as a problem Um, and therefore the young person needed to change and therefore um, the leader should impose consequences Um, but frame these consequences as these are what the young person is choosing and it kind of seemed like well the behavior just needs to stop and the program is more important Um, and maybe in some some so some situations that is that is true and and maybe especially when it comes to issues of safety and things like that um however i would propose that um when those kind of things happen when we emphasize um that a young person just has to participate in the program in the way that we want and they have to um be nice and quiet and um or yeah, all that, they received the communication that the program um, or their behavior or being quiet, listening, not not um, being <laughs> having fun, <laughs> all those things are actually more important than they are. The program, the behavior is more important than the young person. That's what I would propose is what the young person receives from that kind of communication, from that kind of behavior management in inverted commas. And what if if we asked ourselves whether it's actually our program that's the problem, not the young person or not the behavior? 
I also thought about, well, sometimes young people, and particularly young people who have complex needs and complex uh, backgrounds, for example, young people who are from trauma, traumatized backgrounds or um, and most likely have been in the care of um, child protection, a lot of the time a young person's misbehavior, well, like any other behavior, any other nonverbal communication, is actually the young person trying to communicate something to us, whether they're consciously thinking about it or not. Perhaps if we approached a young person as though their behavior is actually them trying to tell us their story rather than their behavior just needs to stop, perhaps our whole approach to ministry would change. And I think that misbehavior can actually be a powerful opportunity to let that young person know that we hear them and that we value them. We value their story. We value what's what they're thinking and what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. We want to value what they value rather than we just want them to act in a certain way. One of the things that, you know, as I just experienced, you know, how I had to pause the, the recording so I could try and put up a sign um, was realizing that um, if I was to go out to the students here at Tabor and tell them, please, can you actually keep it down because I'm trying to record a podcast, I would be limiting their experience of the positive community, of the reflective community that we have here at Tabor in order for me to be able to do my podcast and impress all my listeners. So we, you can see from that example, and maybe not everyone thinks the way that I do, but you can see from that example that sometimes when we try to get young people to behave in a certain way, it's actually really about us more than the young person themselves. And there's lots of implications here. Like we can talk about um, the youth work principle of the primary client. Um, for those of you who haven't done any youth work studies, this principle refers to um, treating the young person as the primary client of the service. Um, it's kind of a weird way of describing it for those who haven't, who haven't heard it before. But if you're thinking about like a, a youth service, sure, the youth service is there for the young person. But if the young person isn't the primary client, then other things can creep in as the primary motives and the primary, um, yeah, the primary clients. For example, the the family, the parents could be the primary client instead of the young person. The um, the the funding bodies could become the primary client. An example of that might be: say you have a young person who is. Um, coming to a drop-in centre in a youth service during school hours. But your youth service is funded by the um, Department for Education. Making the young person the primary client means that you don't report on that young person for truancy. You work with them on it. Um, and if you made the funding body the primary client, then you would report to them whenever that young person is truanting. If the family was the primary client, um, you would be talking to the young person about the impact of their actions upon their family rather than working only with that young person and with their reality and their experiences and why they're truanting from school, like what's going on for them. 
I'm not saying any of those other things are bad, but it means that that young person is not the one being worked with. They're not the one who's being prioritized. So this idea of primary client means that if you're treating the young person in your youth ministry like they are the primary client, then if they're misbehaving, instead of just trying to stop them misbehaving, you're going to be asking them, well, what's going on for you right now? What's, what's this about? Tell me the story behind this. Um, or you might even be considering, well, what's, what's wrong with our programs that's causing this? Or you might even be considering, what's wrong with my perception of this behavior? Maybe the behavior isn't actually bad. Maybe it's just that I have a perception that this is bad and I have a misperception. I think the other thing that is relevant here is actually this idea of um, how we as people carry this twofold identity where we, we carry the image of God um, in us and that we were, you know, as Genesis 1 says, that we were created in the image of God, but also that we've been stained by, by sin. And we can emphasize in our treatment of other people and in also our own self-concept, the way we picture ourselves, we can treat them either with um, the image of God or the stain of sin. And I think if we are treating people as though they are just sinful people who always do bad things, then we're always going to try to correct them and always try to make sure they stop sinning. But if we treat people as the image of God, as image bearers of the living God, then I think our approach to them would completely, radically change. Instead of seeing them as a problem to be fixed, we'll see them as, as representatives of their creator. And we'll look for those, those little nuggets of, of reflections of God in them rather than all the things that they are doing wrong. This, the other thing that I would say that we need to, to do to welcome um, young people who are the, the naughty kids is to actually welcome their challenging, welcome their challenges, welcome their questions. Um, sometimes it's easier in youth groups and in these, uh, like, for example, discussion groups with young people, it's easier to just, you know, kind of brush off the tough questions or or um, challenge young people when they are being um, challenging. When perhaps we could actually find a great deal of, of gold when we actually listen to what the young person is finding difficult about this faith or what, what uh, frustrations they might have. I'll give an example. Um, another experience I had when um, I was doing some volunteer work somewhere um, in this particular youth ministry, it was with young people who were, you know, they had complex needs. And um, I remember that the speaker wanted to convince the group of young people that God is love. And um, the young people became angry and became um I wouldn't quite say volatile, but they were yelling and they were arguing and they were angry and I felt uncomfortable. And as I reflected on that even more later on, I realized this problem that I saw that we were trying to convince them that God is love, but they didn't believe in God. 
because they had experienced so much pain. One of those young people, their good friend had passed away and they said, passed away quite young. I don't remember why they, why they died, but this young person who was, who was angry about it was saying, I don't believe in, I can't believe in God if he would take away my friend. And they would make arguments because of their anger, like, um, well, how do you know God is real? And then the answer would be, well, it says it in the Bible. Well, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, because um, it says it in the Bible and this circular reasoning that just made them more frustrated. What if instead of trying to convince them of our belief, we sat with them in that pain, in that trauma of losing their friend, we sat with them in their confusion, their anger about what they had experienced, about the loss of someone close to them. I think that would be far more powerful and give way to a, to a deeper connection with that young person. And maybe down the track, because they've been heard and loved in that process, they might believe that God is love because they have experienced love from people who claim to be his followers. The next thing I think is about, and related to that, is this idea of sitting in disagreement with people. We're very good at uh, sitting with the people that we agree with, the people that agree with us, the people that make us feel like um, I'm right. We like echo chambers. Um, But Jesus called us to something greater than that. He called us to love our enemies, not just those who agree with us and those who love us. So our calling is actually to sit with the people that we disagree with, the people that disagree with us. And it means that we can sit with a young person and listen to them as they tell their story or they they tell their experiences or their opinions that we don't agree with. And we can actually affirm and acknowledge their experiences and their thoughts and understand where they're coming from rather than waiting for a chance to convince them that they're wrong. And it's through that relationship, through that conversation, through that connection, again, that we can show them the love of God and lead them to the love of God, rather than just trying to convince them that they're wrong. One of the readings that we do here at Table for our youth work program, um, I thought was really relevant to this idea. And it's uh, from, a, from a book written by Janet Batsleer called Informal Learning in Youth Work. Uh, it was written in 2008, so it's a little bit on the, uh, on the older side, but I think still relevant. Um, in Chapter 8, um, Janet talks about this idea of um, how do youth workers engage with difficult behaviours? Um, and she refers to this idea of, of the everyday chat and how this everyday chat forms a basis for developing relationships. Um, And that dissatisfaction, disrespect, and boredom are actually invaluable starting points. Rather than a behavior to change, they're a starting point for connection and developing relationships. I'm going to read a section from from chapter 8 because I think this is is quite powerful um, with regard to what we've been talking about. While this chat is happening, important cues, if they are picked up by the youth worker, enable a deeper connection. 
Dissatisfaction and discontent are invaluable allies of the practitioner. It is important to attempt to understand their source. Such feelings are not always freely expressed, but when they are, even when it is uh, with negativity, hate and anger, they need to be acknowledged and worked with. Powerful feelings of hurt and fear can often be found underlying anger. The sense that, in quotations, this place is rubbish, end quote, can contain a strong feeling of hurt that the people who come to this place are themselves regarded as rubbish. The committed practitioner can acknowledge such feelings and recognize the need to make a change, to create a place in which young people feel welcomed and valued, in which their worth and dignity is recognized. Young people may feel many places to be welcoming, even when they are in desperate need of repair. And even a smart place can seem hostile if the people there are unwelcoming. The whole chapter just goes on this whole line of uh, how we can actually do that specifically. Um, If I can summarize it, my main drawing draw from that um that reading is that the way to to work with young people who are having difficult behaviors is actually we need to reinterpret their behavior instead of interpreting it from our lens of they're doing the wrong thing they're being disruptive they're not listening they're not engaging in the program that we've so excellently designed because we're professionals uh, lol jokes uh it is looking at what are they doing what's behind that behavior What are they trying to tell me through that behavior? What can I explore with them? And instead of just going to them and trying to make it stop, it means going to them and exploring with them. Well, tell me about this. How come they, what is is this about? You know, you, you don't seem to be interested in this message. Tell me what that's about. And not from a, I want you to stop perspective, but from a perspective of, I really just want to know you. And maybe we can chat together somewhere else so that other people can continue listening. But let's chat. Let's chat about what's going on for you. Maybe what's going on for that young person is they came because they wanted to hang out with their friends and they never get to have fun with their friends. And that sense of fun is what links them to community and relationships and a sense of safety and belonging. Maybe they wouldn't word it that way. Or it might be that what the preacher is talking about, or the speaker is talking about, they really struggle with that idea or or they're really struggling to believe in God or they feel angry at God. So they don't really want to listen to this guy talk about something that they feel really upset about. And that can open up a world of conversation about their experiences, about why they're angry at God. And um, you can then sit with them in that. Now, even as I say these things, I'm like, man, I wish I had the opportunity to go back and do these things again. Now in my role as as a lecturer, I don't work as closely with young people as I used to. Um, But I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, In my Facebook group, Youth Ministry Misfits, there's a chance every time I I upload a podcast for people to make comments. Um, I do appreciate those positive feedback comments, but I'd also love to hear your experiences of of trying to reinterpret someone's behavior, um, trying to look beyond their behavior to what they're trying to communicate. Uh, So I invite you to join that group and join that conversation. Next week, 
I'm going to be talking with someone about uh, what is the essence of youth ministry, what the the why of youth ministry, the the foundation of youth ministry. So until that next time, stay misfit. Thanks for listening to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. If you want to continue the conversation, join our Facebook group. It's called Youth Ministry Misfits. Here we'll post more information, more research, more topics, more conversations. And we'll also post about future gatherings in person. If you'd like to know even more, why don't you think about studying with us at tabor.edu.au. We we offer youth work, counselling, ministry and more. Until next time, stay misfit.